I think it should start out with safety first. That's the problem I see with tech. For me, really what inspires me is to know that there are people building products and they're thinking about the long-term repercussions of what they're building before they actually start building it. Welcome to Tech Talks, hosted by myself, David Savage, and powered by Nash Squared. So it is Friday. It is Friday the 22nd of December. We are truly on the cusp of a well-earned break, Amber. Good, yes. <laughs> the end is in sight. <laughs> yeah, you, you sound absolutely kind of like ready for it. Yeah, I mean, it's just been a bit of a, I don't know, it's been a bit of a tough year, hasn't it? It's been a bit of a strange year. So yeah, very ready to just kind of switch off for a little bit. Yeah and um, come back nice and refreshed in January. Yeah, absolutely. But before that, we do have a packed show to bring you. We've got an interview with Suki Fuller, uh, Computer Weekly's most influential woman in tech in the UK for 2023. And then later on in the show, because it's a Friday, uh, we've got a voice note. And this week, it's from Richard Davies, the UK Managing Director of Net Company, talking about IT problems within the NHS. But before that, as I say, our main guest this week is Suki. And... um, Amber, you were there when she won her award. I was, yeah. I was fortunate enough to go along to the event. It was a fantastic event. You know, just a real kind of combination of of different empowering females coming to sort of say their piece. So Suki gave a, a really fantastic speech as well. It really was very heartfelt. I think she was very, very genuinely quite surprised to have won. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, I mean, a very deserving winner. So I'm really excited to sort of to hear a bit more about what she's got to say about like her journey and um, and obviously what she's kind of been up to as well since we saw her. Look, just before we do press play on the interview, as a young woman in our industry, mm. what does it mean to be in a room like that where you have got all of those inspiring figures in one place? It's it's so refreshing because um, I think it's just nice to, to get together and, and have it as a real celebration. And that's what I saw the day as. It was, I know obviously there was um, lots on the agenda... Oh, sorry, that is my doorbell. Was it? Is it something nice, given that it's nearly Christmas? Oh, no, I don't know. Well, it's, I've just looked through my uh, little hole, and it's not actually for me. Um, sorry, <laughs> completely threw me. So, getting um, back to the fact that you were, it's refreshing to be in a room full of inspiring people. Yes, exactly. There we go. Sorry. Um, <laughs> really, really refreshing. And uh, again, obviously, there was lots on the agenda. There was lots of things they had to go through. But the whole day just felt really relaxed. Like I said, it was a real celebration uh, lots of people just coming to tell their story, how they've started out, the struggles that they might have kind of come up against as a female in this industry, yeah. and actually how they're like now advocates for change. So, yeah. so yeah, it was fantastic to see, and it's actually given me a lot of kind of food for thought coming away from it as well. So, you know, I, I thought um, that you know in our industry we we are quite diverse, we are quite inclusive, um, but actually. There's so much more that we can do. There's so much more as recruiters that we can sort of facilitate to help with that as well. So yeah, lots of things that it's kind of, uh, kind of ignited, impacted me, and I want to sort of yeah help and, and kind of make sure that come the next event, there's even more speakers up there. There's even more nominees. There's even more change as well. Yeah. So yeah, fantastic afternoon. That's the impact of Suki's win. Let's hear from her directly. Today I am talking to Suki Fuller. Uh, Suki, you are recently voted as 2023's most influential women in UK or woman in UK technology rather 
Thank you for taking the time to have a chat today. How are you? I'm I'm good, except for the the rain and um, yeah. You know what? Yeah, yeah the good. weather's a bit atrocious, but you know, yeah, terribly yeah. British. I always seem to start these podcasts talking about the weather, and we've got a US audience. That just, it just probably reinforces the stereotype that we are obsessed with weather. It's true. And I'm not going to lie. You know, there's the British part of me that is, and the American part of me that is also, because if you live in some place in the Northeast, you know, if you live in like upstate New York or Pennsylvania uh-huh. up by the Great Lakes, the weather. That's that's life. That's lifeblood. Lake of oh, yeah, snow. The the US has real weather. The few times I've been to the US, it's like, oh, this is this is weather. Whereas we love to talk about weather, which is fairly kind of meh for the most part. Fake summer and then <laughs> not quite winter, just rain. The only consistency is rain. Well, look, one thing that you're not doing is confirming stereotypes when it comes to women in our industry, because uh, you're, you're a trailblazer in that regard. So let's get onto safer ground by talking about that. Um, look, first of all, I know that you're not someone that necessarily craves the limelight. So how, how was the whole experience of winning that award? Overwhelming. Um, I still haven't really, I'm not owning it enough, I've been told um last year's winner flavilla i'm really good friends with her and but she's a branding expert so she owns it she that's she walks talks branding and i think i get a lecture from her every other day about owning it (laughs) um i get lectures from everybody that i've seen in the meantime like why aren't you out there more why aren't you you know splashing this everywhere and that's just not the nature of what we do in my particular field, working in intelligence. We are, as I said, when I was getting the award was, we are the conciliaires. We are the the person standing next to the decision makers, giving them advice. We are that attache to the board and to the C-suite. And we help guide people making decisions, you know, and whether or not they take our advice, you know, that is what it is, but we're the ones out there. That's what we do. So when you get recognition, it feels a little weird. I feel like I should be giving it to somebody else. And and I do. I like to give it to all the people that have helped me get where I am and all the people that have allowed me to help them. So that's where I think it really should be, as I tell people. I'm just the conduit. So, so if you're just a conduit, what do you attribute your win to? Why do you think it is that you you have been recognized? I think <laughs> I have pondered this. And it turns out, uh, I would say I'm a seed. I have planted the seeds in many people. And so I've helped a lot of people, a lot of individuals in their early careers, even mentored students. And so there's a recognition of how much I've helped them. And then there are people that have been fully fledged careers and they've reached out to me and asked my opinion or just asked my advice. And mm, I'm a pretty good advisor, it seems. And I'm a pretty good mentor. So I guess that's it. And I guess I need to quit shrugging since, you know, we're not on video. (laughs) (laughs) Audible shrugs. No, um, (laughs) Let's talk about your your background a little bit first, because um, I, I think 
it's always interesting to know, you know, here we are talking about the recognition that you've received this year and the position that you hold within the industry. But how did you get here? That's one of those loaded questions, you know, like when people go, well, you know, where have you lived? (laughs) Where haven't I lived? (laughs) Um, How did I get here? Well, I'm sure people are probably aware of my interest in um, James Bond. I would say it's really weird because I had sort of people that I really admired, but not actual people. (laughs) You know, everybody has sort of the the characters that they admire, you know, Superman Mm -hmm. or whatever. And for me, I had a complete fascination with history and archaeology. I think that was the first thing I ever wanted to be was an archaeologist. So for me, it was Indiana Jones. Um, I actually had a whip when I was younger. (laughs) I got a whip. I didn't get the hat, though. I was a little disappointed about that. But, you know, big up the family for getting me the whip. Um, I had a fascination with James Bond. Um, I read so many James Bond books when I was little, like Ian Fleming. My mom has a brilliant collection of Ian Fleming. He's not very nice in the books. No, no. And I, no. I should not have been reading those books, <laughs> but I would just devour every book in the house. And my mom had this big collection of books and Agatha Christie and Poirot was like my thing. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my gosh, I'm going to solve who did this before the end of the book. <laughs> And and so those three, and they're all men, but I think when you're younger, you don't really have a concept of it being a male character or a female character. You're just thinking of the character and the characteristics of what you really agree with. And it's I think it's the concept of male or female actually comes in when society sort of pushes that into your brain. Because when I was a kid, I didn't think of, you know, James Bond is like, it was a dude. I was like, James Bond, super spy, you know, yeah. <laughs> Pyro, super sleuth, you know, <laughs> Indiana Jones, super adventurer. I was like, oh, you know, I was really happy when Tomb Raider came out because I was like, all right, yes, that works. So, yeah, I those three things always sort of came together for me. And beside the part of trying out chemical engineering, really not liking that, sucking out the fumes of known carcinogens for six hours a day, not really good for the human body. And um, I made a lot of great shiny things, but that was not the career for me. And so I sort of, I dropped out of school for a little bit and then I found a degree in intelligent studies and that program is where they teach you how to become an intelligence analyst. So Mm. right off the bat, you are taught about the intelligence cycle, how to gather information, how to organize it, how to analyze and how to feed that information to somebody to make an actionable decision. So I'd say Mercyhurst University, got a shout out my school. That's really where I found who I was. And that's how my career in the technology path started. It's interesting about kind of stuff that influences and shapes us. You might tell me that this is this is absolute rubbish. And and if you do, then fair enough. I was having a conversation with someone actually, a young female in STEM, 
who was asking me for book recommendations because her company had given her a voucher to buy some leadership and business books. And I went, I hate leadership and business books. I think they are boring. And everyone's always like, oh, I read this and I read that. I'm like, no, I couldn't think of anything worse than reading a book on leadership. I, I kind of said, well, look, you should read some good fiction or some good nonfiction that's actually got nothing to do with the industry. Because to your point, I suppose a bit about James Bond, um, I find that far more interesting. And I think good fiction can be just as influential when it comes to leadership and yeah. education and business as anything really dry that someone has been pushed to write by a PR company. So what, oh. what do you think continues to shape you through that journey? Obviously, you, you gave a shout out to your school there, but in those early days, what were the influences that helped shape you and shape the, the, the direction of your career? People. Mm -hmm. People. I, I would say I feed off of the energy of people. And as much as it does physically and mentally exhaust me to be around a lot of people for a long period of time, I still thrive off of it. I like going and speaking to different people. Um, I would say I'm not your traditional winner of the <laughs> Computer Weekly because I don't work specifically in just tech. So I'm working across the board. The tech is the sort of the, the piece that seems to run through everything. But the intelligence is the thing that really runs through everything because that will, pulls it together. So I work with people in arts. I work with people in all different sectors. So I'm speaking to people that have no clue about anything in technology. And then when you speak to them, they realize actually the technology is there. We just, it's just everyday part of our lives. Hmm. We've had technology forever, refrigerators, you know, irons, lights, People don't actually think, they just think it's something they use and, and that's all it is. So for me, I do like business books, but I don't like the traditional business books that everybody reads. So ooh, I won't say that on, I am going to say, I'm owning it. I've never read Simon Sinek, never, not once. No, I, I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> not once read any of his books. Um, I have never read Malcolm Gladwell. <laughs> I've done like, you know, like the skim and go, yeah, no, I don't really need to read it because I think a lot of what they say is actually practical. Mm -hmm. It's it's just expanded upon to make it seem like it's got more facets to it, but it, it's really practical. And I think if your mind functions in a certain way, you probably are doing all the things they've said already. Just you yeah. don't have a name for it. You know, as I always say, like social media intelligence, everybody talks about this. Well, before it actually had a name in the early days of Twitter and LinkedIn, there were people like me already doing that. We just didn't have a name for it. <laughs> you know, when you when you think about it, people were doing it. They just didn't have a name for it. And so a lot of business books, they just slap a name on something and make it shiny. And sometimes you don't need that. I like reading fiction, not as much as I used to. Mm -hmm. And that's probably because I like to listen to books more. And right. listening to fiction is only good if you have a selection of different voices. If you have one person reading it, it doesn't have the same resonance 
unless you have some brilliant actor reading it, you know. But um, I found that I like reading biographies and autobiographies. It's nothing about something learning about somebody's life 300 years ago or, you know, 200 years ago and realizing, wow, they basically had the same problems that we had. Or, you know, their personality is not that far off from somebody you know. People are basically the same. Doesn't matter the time or the place in the world. We're all essentially the same. Just different aspects of life have occurred to us. We should get your alternative reading list for (laughs) students and young professionals looking to get ahead and put it in the show notes. Oh, Um, I don't know about that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Look, I I don't know whether you would define yourself in this this sense, but out of of interest, would would you class yourself as as an introvert or an extrovert? Are you quite shy? Are you quite outgoing? Um, I'd say I'm an ambivert. I would say I have Mm -hmm. a tendency, as I've gotten older, to sort of revert back to my childhood which is where I was more of an introvert and it seems that actually the older I've gotten and the more um more of a public face that I've I've achieved I've become more introverted for the probably one or two times in the recent past I've realized exactly how some celebrities feel not that I'm a celebrity but I understand now why they do get so just sort of discombobulated when people are constantly coming at them because it, it it is something to really, really behold and to recognize when it starts happening to you and you go, oh, I just want to eat my lunch. <laughs> and you've got people coming at you and your phone is constantly going, but then you go, well, you know what? I'll take the flowers. I will own it. And I will appreciate the fact that in a couple months or in a year, it's going to be completely different. It'll be somebody else. So the, the, look, the reason why I ask is you've talked about the importance of people. You also talked about the fact that your mentor um, students. Uh, I think I think by 2025, 27% of the workforce are going to be Gen Z. And I kind of get the sense talking to people of that age group that they are quite shy or they, they, they've got a lot coming at them. You know, they've yeah. grown up with so much noise through social media and expectations and images of what success should look like that they can find it quite overwhelming necessarily kind of going out and speaking to people. How do you help them because just telling someone to get over it isn't helpful telling someone oh you know you you just need to get on and and talk to people is is not going to do them any favors how do you try and help them navigate the world that they're moving into well there are the ones that i tell them to just get over it (laughs) (laughs) it it's really a mixture it for me it it works with if I'm actually speaking to the person mm-hmm. and I'm having that one-to-one in person or on a video and I can see how they're reacting to what I'm telling them. So it's it's more, I think there's a little bit more of a connection because 
eh, facial expressions, body posture. It's easy for me to really read how they are feeling and guide them with, you know, hey, why don't you maybe take a look at this website or take a look at this book or listen. I don't tell people to listen to podcasts too much because I know for me, auditorily, sometimes there are people's voices that just annoy me. And I I can't listen to their podcast. I don't care if they have 20 million listeners. Your voice annoys Mm -hmm. me. I'm not going to do it for 45 minutes. Just not going to happen. And Mm -hmm. so I usually say, you know, take a look at this article. I'm, I'm the one for sharing of articles and saying, take a look at this. Let me know what you think. Not so much giving tasks, but I do spend probably and I get in trouble for this, probably more than 50% of my time speaking to younger people, just speaking to people and helping them navigate. I mentor a lot. And, but it's also part of what I do as an advisor, you know, as an intelligence advisor, that's what we do. So sometimes when you think it's falling into the category of advising somebody on something personal, it's usually something quite around business. And the personal Mm -hmm. aspect is just there also because you can't separate a person from what they do. What continues to inspire you? You know, uh, you've obviously reached this point in your career where you have got recognition and that's a fantastic place to be. But I imagine that you have plenty that you still want to achieve. What's what's the stuff that you look at that really kind of makes you go, yeah, there's, there's a lot to do? Um, (laughs) wow. For me, um, not too much AI. I mean, that's the hype phrase right now. Last year it was, you know, a few years ago it was quantum. So I never really take much stock in that. For me, it is the aspect of safety. I think it was, um, somebody's brief. I can't remember who it was that said it yesterday that, um, equity and safety should go hand in hand. I think it was VP Harris. And for me, I don't really think it should be that way. I think it should start out with safety first. That's the problem I see with tech. For me, really what inspires me is to know that there are people building products and they're thinking about the long-term repercussions of what they're building before they actually start building it. It's like, is it actually needed? Is this going to help humanity, not just, you know, who you want to sell it to. Is it going to help humanity? Because there's a lot more responsibility going into how we develop things now than ever before. I'm Mm. sure every generation has said that, but when you look at where we, where we are now and how much we understand about what we've done and what we're developing and how it's affecting the world and society, We can't claim to have ignorance about that. So I think making sure that aspects of safety are built into our technology for people in the future, you shouldn't be building something and know that "Mm, it's going to be hurtful or hateful for somebody. There will always be bad actors who want to take advantage of whatever is done. That's, you know, the yin and yang of human nature. But if you can start from that end and realize, is this needed? No. Okay, then don't do it. Doesn't matter if it's a really great idea and it's not needed. Don't do it. It might make you a lot of money, but you can't take money with you. (laughs) 
<laughs> so I, I, for me, that excites me when I see people building things and realizing they're building to make humanity better. They're building to make sure that the world is better for the next and future generations and that it's going to impact in a positive way. And for me, that's really exciting. I like, um, I like what people are doing. Environmental impact. It sounds so corny, <laughs> but I, I, I do. I like when I see people that are developing techniques for reusing and up, you know, sort of upskilling, but in the upskilling area of how we use what we have as waste in a better way. Mm-hmm. And for me also, because I am an intelligence person, I'm always interested in the development of all things privacy and surveillance. <laughs> um, everybody's talking about large language models, but I think video models, is that's really interesting. But I'd like to see the safety aspects, the protocols that are going to be beat built into that in order to make sure that is not just identifying anybody walking down the street and, you know, and 20 years from now, you see my picture plastered on some screen and everybody going, Oh yeah, you know, (laughs) I know who she is, (laughs) but there's so many things, technology, so much. But when you look at just humans, the world, there's so much, there's so many possibilities. Space travel is interesting. I know I'm just going on. There's so many things. That's the problem. That's the problem with me. There's so many things that I find so absolutely fascinating. And what I think is when people are looking at technology, they're looking at sort of the, I say the softer side of tech, which is the coding, the programming. Everybody thinks that's great. It is great. But for me, the hardware aspects is how we can make hardware more sustainable where we don't have to have mainframes that in like 30 years going to be like, Oh, well, we don't need this anymore. Let's move it to, you know, some desert in the Arizona desert or something. Oh, you know, let's move that to the middle of the Sahara. It's like making sure that things like that are sustainable, that the metals that we're using, because we can't mine forever, you know, it's going to run out at some point. Looking at that, looking at, water, how we can utilize everything that we have already to make sure it is reusable. That for me is just miles above. And then we won't talk about med tech because I think that's fascinating too. (sighs) Yeah. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) That last question is like 20 minutes. I love it. It shows where the passion is. So yeah. And you know, children, I don't even have kids, but for me, the most and the most beautiful sound in the world is the sound of a kid laughing, a baby laughing, because it's pure, unadulterated joy. There is nothing but joy there when you hear a, a little baby and a kid laughing. It's just that for me is like positive energy because that you look around, and you think, wow, that, that that's, there's never been anything untowards happening to that kid that just doesn't know, oh, you know, you're not supposed to laugh at, you know, somebody falling over like that. It's like, (laughs) yeah, we all still have our inner child. We want to, but we're like, "Mm, societal pressures, don't laugh. You know, then you go in another room and you just let the belly laugh out. (laughs) Look, thank you for taking some time out of your day um, to chat to us and to share some insight. And um, 
congratulations on the recognition. Thank you very much. Thank you for the invite. And um, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to own it. Going to own it. Okay, so look, uh, it is a Friday. We have got this new feature that we've now been doing for the last month now, so I suppose it's, it's not so new, where we invite people to send us a voicemail. And I haven't really come up with a name for this yet. I keep kind of thinking like Tech Talks, topical voicemail. It doesn't really work. I, I, I don't know. I think we need some inspiration Ooh. from people to tell us what this feature yes. should be called. Uh, yeah, that, that was a bit wordy that day. Friday's that factoid. It's not really a factoid. I'm not even sh- entirely sure what a factoid is. It sounds like something from the 80s. Yeah, yeah. Um... Maybe just ask people to send in even more voice notes with ideas of what we should call that segment. <laughs> so you're just going to be inundated with like loads and loads of voice notes about different things. But hmm, yeah, I'll have a thing. You'll have a thing over sure Christmas. I, I don't know if some of those were sort of super catchy. I'll be honest, yeah. but I don't have anything better to contribute, so I can't. Uh, I can't judge too much. Well, it's it's our Friday feature anyway, whatever we want to call it. Uh, and this week, the voice note is from Richard Davies, who's the UK managing director at Net company and the article is on the bbc and it's uh, the headline is it failures causing patient deaths says nhs safety body we'll play the voice note we'll be back in a second hi everyone my name is rich davis uk managing partner at their company i think tech professionals should be aware of a new article by the bbc this week which discusses how nhs computer failings are really now harming patients This comes after their recent conversations with the Health Services Safety Investigations Body. This article highlights the disjointed nature of IT systems across the NHS and why the NHS needs support in prioritising and de-risking fundamental digital transformation. We're seeing this happen in pockets, but as this article highlights, the human impact of the end-to-end patient journey not being digitised is significant with patients unable to have a choice in their communications. The NHS's reliance on physical paper means that before true benefits can be realized with health tech such as AI and automation, all processes and records must be digitized to support better patient outcomes. And just as importantly, it needs to be secure. This isn't just unique to the NHS. All tech leaders need to ask themselves about how disjointed IT is damaging their customers. Look, in our industry, we often talk about investment and investment in infrastructure and legacy, and it can sometimes be a bit boring, dare I say. Um, Mm. And yet, here we can see really the really awful consequences, perhaps, of not looking at your infrastructure and updating and giving it the proper level of uh, investment. A lot of the time when you talk about that, it's as simple as, you know, um, I don't know, it's sort of, you know, projects might not get completed to a set deadline or, you know, like say it's it's a lot of kind of manual labor behind some of the processes. This is kind of the opposite end of the spectrum. This is, you know, the extreme. This is obviously, you know, people directly being impacted and obviously people, you know, dying off the back of it as yeah. well. So, um I think it's something that I mean, me personally, this I found this article shocking. There was there was one bit in particular. Obviously, when they give the actual example, um, I'll, I've got it kind of here. So it obviously mentions that um, you know a patient uh, was found unresponsive and then obviously wrongly identified by healthcare staff as not wishing to be resuscitated. Mm. I mean, that is just. <sighs> I don't know how you've. I, I don't even know what to say on that. I think that's just absolute madness. Um, 
And like you say, tech has come so far, it's so advanced now that to think that we're having simple mistakes, you know, just like that from, I don't know, documents not being updated or documents being lost or files, you know, kind of just going off the radar. Yeah. Like it just seems like we've come so far and that's such a outdated kind of a approach. Um, yeah, I mean, I found this one. I'm so glad that this one was kind of brought to our attention because I think this one's just absolutely ludicrous that we're sort of we're living in the dark ages when we know there's huge investment there in tech there's been massive massive kind of leaps and bounds and we've gone we've made such progress so how is this still kind of the day-to-day in the public sector yeah yeah absolutely i mean look for for anyone who's wondering about the kind of the headline stats twenty-four thousand hospital letters lost in computer error Hospital NHS Trust failed to send out 400,000 letters. And yeah, you obviously mentioned one example there, but a a patient diagnosed with lung cancer, not followed up because of IT problems who died two months later. Another given the wrong medications because of a mix-up with their electronic notes who died 18 days later. Um, One of the biggest and busiest trusts, Guy's and St. Thomas's in London, suffered a catastrophic failure when their IT systems went down last summer during the heatwave. A report showed that operations were cancelled when doctors could not access medical records, putting obviously further uh, patients at risk. Um, and, and Nizam Mahmood, um, uh, a professor of transplant surgery at Guy's and Great Ormond Street Hospitals until he retired last year, said IT problems were a major issue. He told this this BBC report, there is significant potential for error, problems arising for harm arising. And I think therefore, it's one of the most urgent issues that the NHS faces. And it just kind of feels like you know, we, there's talk here about um, 900 million pounds worth of investment that um, Last October, Guys and Thomas's NHS Foundation Trust launched a new 450 million pound um, electronic patient record system. But if systems don't talk to each other, it's just kind of slapping plasters on top and hoping the whole thing doesn't fall over. Um, and you're just setting yourself up for bigger and bigger failure. Mm. Yeah, no, I mean, it's such a good point because, um, like you say, if they're, yeah, they've got certain systems which do certain things, but then they don't actually kind of. I don't know, work together, then you may as well not have any of these flashy new systems because obviously you've got, you've still got the old stuff there, which is kind of not allowing you to sort of to push forward. Um, I mean, again, don't want to bring it back to sort of like, you know, private and public, but I think there is, that is a real um, kind of key factor in this is obviously the private sector has come so far forward. It's got the investment, you know, they they really are so advanced and we see it. I mean, I I work with a lot of the, the kind of the big banks and, a lot of what they do is so advanced now that it takes away a lot of these manual processes. I mean, even on this, um, obviously this article where it mentions about sort of like letters. I mean, I don't know, even that, like, you know, obviously a lot of people have gone sort of paperless. Obviously a lot of people have gone to emails. Um, the fact that they're relying so heavily on a system to kind of send out these letters. And if they don't, then obviously people are, yeah. oh, the end product, you know, is, is people resulting in, in death? I, I would argue, I mean, look, is part of the problem that the NHS has been siphoned off to numerous different private enterprises who yeah, all have yes. self-interest rather than the, you know, and they don't have a whole picture. So, you know, um, one company will win a contract for one trust, one company will win a contract for another trust, and they're not thinking about how it all interlinks, uh, interlinks mm. and works together. And actually, you either need to go, okay, one company runs this, or is part of the problem that the public sector is just isn't being funded and run properly. And if it mm. if if it wasn't siphoned off to death by a thousand cuts through various different private organisations, 
Look, that's a far bigger debate, and and we've had a lot of of health tech businesses on this show over the years, and people who've worked in healthcare, and it'd be really interesting to get their view on what the what the solution is, because I, I don't necessarily think it's just throwing more money at it. it. It is structural, like you're pointing at. We don't really necessarily see these problems in banks, but then a, a bank isn't quite of the same scale of the NHS, and True. they've not got multiple different organisations providing their infrastructure necessarily in quite the same way. Yeah, no, no. It's, like you say, it's a good point. Obviously, I think there is an element of privatization into that. You know, come into that that kind of argument as well. Because um, I mean, it's it's strange. Obviously, like, yes, I compared it to a bank. Like you said, they're very, very different and not quite at the same sort of scale. But I wouldn't even say they're comparable. I wouldn't even say you know, there's a few. I don't know different systems that they have that are making them far more advanced. I would say that one is kind of years back, like you said, all legacy systems you know, hasn't gone for any sort of form of transformation mm. um, and seems like they have a, a long, long way to go. And then one is like heavily advanced. They're talking about sort of, you know, data science, AI, uh, innovation, emerging tech, all that sort of side of things. So how is there such a, a gap between the two? Um, you know, and I guess there's, you know, like you said, various different things that come into that investment and, you know, the manpower and the people that they're able to attract through, I guess their kind of their packages and their offering and the remuneration and that sort of side of things. And obviously, you know, generally better people will will help to kind of power these these changes and and sort of push that forward. But I, I don't know, it's it's so strange that they are there is such a disparity there. They are so far apart. Um and I feel like they've just got such a long way to catch up. So Yeah. Yeah. I mean I'd say this article is shocking, but I think it's shocking when you see it all you know, all kind of there in front of you with all these sort of examples. And obviously there's some pretty shocking stats on here, but actually when you think about it, it's, um, yeah, it's it's not hugely shocking because I think it's something that we're all aware of, but actually it's about, you know, how do you go kind of go about changing that? Yeah. Um, and not making yeah, so it a political issue that can be kicked around, but actually getting to grips yeah, because exactly. people, are, people are dying unnecessarily. It's gone beyond... Uh, a political hot potatoes are just something that needs fixing for the for the sake of people out there who are who, who are dying unnecessarily mm. yeah no like you say strip it back and, and that's kind of the only thing that should be on people's minds really um just yeah. get to grips with the issue <laughs> exactly. Exactly. there we go dave me and you should um yeah i don't know let's not put ourselves for i don't know what you're <laughs> Where you're going, but let's, let's not. Let's not nominate ourselves for anything here. No, you're right. Well, I'll uh, scrap that. Cut, cut that bit out, Dave. <laughs> well, look, um, Richard, thank you for bringing that uh, story to our attention. Um, we will put the link in the show notes uh, for this um, episode. And also thank you to Catherine Broadhurst at Man Bites Dog, who um, is the PR company working with Richard and, and helped uh, flag that. So I think it's time for us to log off. Um, we are we are pretty much done for Christmas. Uh, however, we are we are back on Boxing Day. We just don't stop, Dave, do we? We have already recorded that. I, myself and Akisha recorded that yesterday. But, uh, <laughs> no one needs to get bored at that time. Then they've got you know plenty of listing to be getting on with. Yeah, Doctor Who, Tech Talks. You know, it's the same same level oh, of entertainment. I'm very excited for that. I don't know. if... Sorry, this is uh, really random. I know you're trying to shut this down, Dave. But, I was rambling. Um, so <laughs> it's alright. I I um. So when I was younger, I was obsessed with Doctor Who, like obsessed. Yeah. And um, so I'm that super surprises me. I mean, I love Doctor Who, but that that does. I'll be honest, that surprises me. Really? Like, no. When I say obsessed, like I had 
everything. I had all the magazines. I had like a, a folder and I'd like hole punch the magazines and then they would all get put into the folder. Amber, you um, little closet geek. I know. And then I had like, um, I had a canine. I had like Cybermen. Wow. Like all, the, all the toys and everything, like the remote Classic, classic like who then? Yeah, oh, classic. Oh yeah, massively. But I, um, this is my claim to fame actually. So I wrote in, uh, sorry, wrote in. I drew a picture of a Cyberman and then I wrote into the magazine and with this picture and um, basically begged them to put it into the magazine because I was such a massive <laughs> geeky fan. Um, and they did. So I, I will have to find it. But I've got the copy somewhere. Amazing. Where I've, just, um, I've saved it. So yeah, really looking forward to that. And obviously looking forward to listening to lots of tech talks as always. Same, same thing, same level. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, there we go. Enjoy Doctor Who tomorrow, given... Yes, because this is Christmas Eve. No, no, this isn't Christmas Eve. This is the 22nd. I'm getting thoroughly confused. We'll talk to you soon. (laughs) Tech Talks is hosted and edited by David Savage. It is produced by Nash Squared. And we have special thanks to Lemzy for supplying music to this show.